I want to begin today with a quick, short linguistic quiz. I want to ask the question, you can shout out the answer, what's the difference between when a sentence begins with the word if and when a sentence begins with the word when? So what's the difference, in other words, between if I do something or when I do something? Anybody? Do we have any English majors here? Yes, what do you think? Right, that it might not happen. Very good, excellent. I was afraid I have to turn to a lawyer to get an answer, but very good. Now, you might wonder why I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning this, because the word if, or in Hebrew the word is im, it's conditional. It may or may not happen. And the second one, when, like our gentleman over here explained, means assumes that something will definitely occur. So why do I even mention that today? Well, the reason is because in the listing of the circumstances that we were reading, prescribing the offerings and the sacrifices that were to be made in the Beit Migdash, in the Mishkan, and in the temple, which is the primary consideration of this morning's Torah portion, there are a number of instances when the sentence begins, im <coughs> if one sins. And the text indicates, then, what kind of sacrifice is to be offered in order to make amends if one commits various sins. But there's one instance in this litany, in this list, in the series, which says not im, not if, but rather when. It is asher nasi yechete, when a leader sins. Now our sages took notice, and they tried to understand why that was the exception. <clears throat> why it didn't follow the same pattern as all of the previous examples. They asked, why didn't it say im yechete, if a leader will sin? but rather it says, when a leader sin. <clears throat> well, the implication is, and they conclude, that the Torah's choice of words is not coincidental. The use of a different precedent is designed to call our attention to the incongruity. Our commentators, who knew something about psychology, as well as about human nature and political realities, suggested the reason for the different language was because the Torah is telling us it's not a question of if a leader will sin, but rather when a leader will sin. In other words, it is inevitable that a leader will sin. Bachia ben Asher, writing in the 1300s, comments Asher, which means when, is used because it implies certainty. And he goes on to, to attribute the leader sinning being because, quote, he will become haughty and arrogant, and this is what will lead him to sin, end quote. Well, today, my friends, we're witnessing the consequences of what the Torah and our sages warned us of. What happens when a leader becomes haughty and arrogant, wishes to grab power and land, and to conquer another people. Calling the Russian invasion of Ukraine the greatest threat to the, three, to the free world since World War II, Natan Sharansky, who was born and raised in Ukraine, who was educated in Moscow, whose sense of morality and Jewish peoplehood propelled him to take on the entire Soviet regime, and who was later imprisoned for leading the human rights fight against the Soviet empire, and for being the leader of the movement to free Soviet Jews, has a unique perspective and insight about what is going on. Now, Natan Sharansky, if you don't know who he is, you must read his book. It's one of my favorite books called Fear No Evil. Someone I've met numerous times and am honored to call a friend who's a brilliant chess player and one of the greatest Jewish heroes of the last 50 years, explained in a recent interview, quote, I said from the very start that this is not a fight between Russia and Ukraine about a piece of land. 
It's not even a fight about the future of Ukraine. It is rather an attempt to change all the principles on which the free world stands, to dismiss all the understandings and agreements that guarantee people they will not lose their freedom because their neighbor is stronger than they are. Putin doesn't want to use nuclear weapons. He's not some kind of Iranian leader who thinks about the next world. He wants to rule this world. He likens Putin's aggression to, quote, a classical situation in the criminal world, where the ringleader is not the one who is the most physically strong, but is the one that everyone understands is going to be willing to use his fist, his body, and his knife, and to fight. Well, as we heard from our bar mitzvah, as Jacob explained to us, today is the Sabbath known as Shabbat Zachor, when we're commanded, Zachor Asher Asalacha Amalek. Remember what it is that the Amalekites did unto you. And so every year at this time of year, the Shabbat before Purim, we read the story of how the Amalekites attack the Jews by striking the weak, the elderly, the infirm, the stragglers in the back coming out of Egypt, how they had no fear of God, and how, they're, how we are therefore called upon to obliterate the memory of Amalek from the earth. Now there are times when that whole concept may seem very remote, distant, and from an era that has long passed. There may be times when we question if Amalek is real, or is it more of an intangible metaphor, the embodiment of cruel disregard for others, and the exploitation of the weak. Well, as we witness what's happening in Ukraine, we cannot help but feel that Amalek may not exist as a nation anymore, but its legacy, unfortunately, is alive and well. And that this desire to conquer others is still a potent force in our world. Keshet Star, writing in the Times of Israel, comments, quote, Shabbat Zakor forces us to remember that evil does exist and that battles of light against darkness are not just the stuff of fairy tales and epic fantasy novels, but they are real. From the earliest origins of human history, until today. And so Parshat Zahor teaches us most of all what is even more dangerous than evil is thinking that it doesn't exist. We cannot whitewash evil, oppression, exploitation, and justice. We cannot pretend that they are some kind of old problems and not part of our modern experience. We cannot take ourselves or our own moral responsibility out of the narrative. And so she says, do not lull yourself into complacency, the Torah warns, in a world that always has required moral courage. And that's what it means to be a Jew, is to live and to have that moral courage, to be willing to stand up against the forces of evil, against Amalek. And that's why it's important that we read and we tell the story of Purim over and over, the story of Amalek over and over, and of Passover each and every year. There are bad actors in the world. Sharansky suggests that Putin saw the withdrawal from Afghanistan and the way the United States dealt with Syria's civil war and concluded that the United States was too weak to respond to an invasion in Ukraine, just as the world did not respond when he annexed Crimea in 2014. Turning his attention to what Israel must learn from what is going on, he says, Sharansky says, that Israel's military power has, always has to be such that we can destroy our enemies, all of them. Looking at Ukraine, it is clear that even when the world is sympathetic, even with the sympathy of the world, the country is still being overrun. So we need not sympathy. We need to maintain a strong military advantage. Sharansky spoke last week at the Sheva Brachot for a couple whose parents and brother were killed in a terrorist attack when the groom was seven. And this is what he said. <clears throat> when I was growing up in Ukraine, in Donetsk, 
There were a lot of nations and nationalities in the Soviet Empire. There were people who had stamped on their passports or their IDs, Russian, Ukrainian, Georgian, Kosaki, and so on. It wasn't so important which of those you had because it didn't matter too much. But the one that was very different from all those others was if it, your identity card was stamped with the word Jew. It was as if you had an illness because you'd be ostracized and prevented from entering college and other places. He said, we knew nothing about what it meant to be Jewish. We knew nothing about Judaism because the Soviet Empire wouldn't let us. There was nothing significant in our Jewish identity other than the anti-Semitism we encountered and the hatred towards us. So no one tried to replace the word Russian with the word Ukrainian in his ID card because it wouldn't make any difference. They still would be accepted to a university. But if it said Jewish on your identity card and you could change it, you would try to do so because your chances of being accepted into places of work and higher education were greater. And Sharansky then says, I was reminded of that this week when I saw thousands of people standing at the border on Ukraine trying to escape the tragedy of what was going on. They stand there day and night, and there's only one word that can help them get out of there, and that word is Jew. Because if you are a Jew today, there are Jews out there who will take care of you. There's someone on the other side of the border from a Jewish agency and, and or from Israel who's looking for you and reaching out to help you. Your chances of leaving are greater than anyone else's. So the world has turned upside down. When I was a child, he said Jew was an unusual word for evil. No one envies us, Not, but today on the Ukrainian border, a Jew is a word for good because it describes people who have a place to go, that there is a nation, which is their family, that waits for them, and that's what it means to be a Jew. So on this Shabbat Zachor, this Sabbath of remembrance, let us remember the lessons of the past because they're still with us today. Let us remember what it means to be a moral potent force against evil, to have the courage to stand up, and let us remember what it means to be a part of this people, who feels a responsibility for the whole world, but also for each other. And let us say, Amen.